Christ is risen. He is risen I must confess, I had something wrong last week. When I, in the introduction to the sermon, I mentioned being on the third week of Easter, that if you went to a store, you'd find the merchandise at 90% off. I was mistaken. I was in a store earlier this week where it was only 75% off. Um, I guess they forgot to uh, continue to mark it down. Let us ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word today. Our God and our Father, please allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So as I continue here this morning and we we read as we often do our gospel reading before I preach it, um, I'll be adding a few verses to this, to our reading today, um, to help give us a full context. Again, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him... The doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. Sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, that they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. (coughs) Now we see Jesus here as the good shepherd. And he talks about all sorts of things in this passage. But he begins by speaking about those who attempt to come and be part of the sheep, but do not come through him. A recent 2022 Ligonier Ministry and Lifeway research poll called The State of Theology has some very disturbing findings. 
in this, they would make a statement, and then there would be percentages of people responding. One is, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. In the U.S., based off this poll, 51% agree, and only 32% disagree. You know what's more troubling than just the average citizen? That 38% of U.S. of the U.S. evangelical church, those who attend church, believe that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. And when I look at these different things, those bother me. Both, of course, the general population and then what it means for those that attend what they consider to be an evangelical church. But to me, the most disturbing question all was this. Here's the statement. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. When we look at this and we look at the general U.S. population, 78% of the population are in the group from, I'm not sure about that, to, I totally agree. Now, you kind of expect that from those that don't necessarily follow God. But sadly, 56% of U.S. evangelicals believe God accepts the worship of all religions. Yet more concerning is the fact that this percentage has increased, you could even say soared, in the last two years. Now you say, oh, these kinds of issues, it's a progressive thing. Well, this poll did break down their their age groups. And again, so disturbing. Ages 18 to 49, there's virtually no difference and the percentages of those who believe God accepts the worship of all religions as it relates to the American church. This is a problem. Jesus here says he is the door. How has the American church, especially the evangelical church, who is supposed to be devoted to the Bible, fall into this idolatrous way of thinking and therefore living? Jesus says there's nothing new under the sun. Moses in Deuteronomy warns God's people right before they enter the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, It says this, Beware that you do not forget Yahweh your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, that you will think that you did this. This passage speaks, goes on, and it speaks of all the gifts that Yahweh had provided for Israel. Moses warns that the people of Israel would forget where they had come from, that is, the bondage of Egypt. He warns that they will forget all that Yahweh did in the way of provision and protection and instruction for them on the way to the promised land. 
Verse 17 of Deuteronomy 18 says, Then you will say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. What a powerful indictment, not just against Israel, but to the church throughout all history. God brought Christians to not only establish this country, but to bring the gospel to the pagan nations in the Western Hemisphere. We tend to forget where our peoples have come from. We forgot or forget how God brought us through difficulties, judgments, and at sometimes revivals, and certainly blessings. Unfortunately, we too say in our hearts, my power, my my, my hand have gained me this wealth. And I'm not just talking about what we have in terms of tangible items, money in the bank, a big house, but we have this, this tendency to say, the things I've done, this is why I can go to sleep at night without fear. I'm trusting in myself the wealth of having my sins forgiven. I do this. I do that. Instead of recognizing that it is the gift and grace of God and that he called you and he delivered you and me and all Christians from our sins. We can also recognize in this way we have become idolaters ourselves. We think also of those in the days of Judges that every person can do what is right in their own eyes. Everyone may have their own household gods and priests. We must declare that all these gods, all these other choices, all these other paths are in no way the true path to the living triune God. We must definitively declare that all the pantheon, all the multitude of ways to God, that is a lie. We have become so proud and haughty that we look back at both pagan idolaters and the people of Israel and even the church historical, and we look down on them. How could you fall into that? We should consider passages like Isaiah 44, beginning in verse 9. Let's hear this narrative together and consider both those at the time, and then what does this say about us? Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witness. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God or mold an image that profits them nothing? Think about that. Who would do such a thing? Who would make their own way to get to God? Surely all his companions would be ashamed. And the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, and he fashions it with hammers, and he works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water, and is faint. 
even with all the limitations of fashioning this together, their weakness is evident. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out one out with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with a compass and makes it like the figure of a man. Wow. Is that not an indictment of who the idol is? According to the beauty of the man, that it may remain in the house, he cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak, and he secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine, and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes his bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it and makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. Anybody starting to hear the ridiculous nature of this path? Again, it says this, With with this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god. His carved image. He falls down before it and worships it. Prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know nor understand. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see and their hearts so they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge, nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Who brought the rain? Who caused it to grow? All of these things. I mean, when I read this, we listen to this and we go, you got to be kidding me, right? Why can't they see this? Well, first of all, they're blinded. They don't understand because they're under judgment from God. They need the mercies of God. It goes on and says, Yes, I have baked the bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on the ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. And he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? We immediately read the passage and stand in awe. How could these people be so foolish? How could their logic be so poor as to not see their obvious contradictions? Who gave us the earth? Who gave us the rain? They cannot seem to understand that the wood is burned to cook food and provide warmth and yet take a portion of that wood and fashion it into their idol. They fashion it. Do you understand the implications for you and me? The danger comes to us when we do not submit to the Word of God. We are in danger when we deny that Jesus is God. We're in danger when we say that Jesus is not the first resurrected man this poison begins to get in the bloodstream of the church when we fashion our own beliefs when we fashion the way in which we live our daily lives apart from god and his word now generally we don't start right out just hauling out to the woods and cutting down a tree 
right? We could run out right there where they cut up that tree that fell on Friday night during the storm, grab that block, go out there and fashion. We don't usually start that, bring it in here and plop it up or set it on top of the cross. We don't start that drastic. We don't start with great compromises or adjustments, but rather with little steps that we think will preserve ourselves. We become like Israel, and we go and fashion our own ways to follow Yahweh. Not His ways, but our own ways. When we do not heed the warnings of Scripture, we live ignoring all that we see, all the ups and downs, all the good and evil, and we ignore the destruction of both Israel and Judah because they would not take down the high places. In the Old Testament, it records nearly 40 references to the high places. These were the places where people fashioned their worship of God into their own way of worshiping and the way that they wanted it to be, to their own liking. They did not worship where or how God had instructed them. Anyone who does this is, as Jesus said in our gospel reading, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs over another way, the same is a thief and a robber. Well, who are they stealing from? Well, first of all, they're attempting to steal God's glory. They're attempting to be like Adam and to grasp at things that don't belong to him. Going about this stealing. And of course, what do they do? When they get to talking with others and they convince others to follow along, they are stealing from others. Jesus is the only door to salvation. Jesus tells his hearers in verse 2 of John 10, but he who enters the door by the, <clears throat> by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. Today's gospel reading comes on the heels of Jesus healing the blind man in John chapter 9. The Pharisees, when confronted with this miracle, did not want to accept the miracle or what the miracle said about Jesus. Some did not like that Jesus had healed the blind man on the Sabbath. There was a debate about how Jesus could heal a blind man and be a sinner. And why was he a sinner? Because he did a merciful thing, a kind thing, and restored a blind man. And remember, what was blindness? Well, it certainly was a curse. It certainly was a handicap. But it was also one of the things that God laid out to say, you can't come in the temple. It was a barrier for that man to go into the temple and worship his God. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? He took a man and he healed him and restored him so that he could go in the temple. And they were claiming this was an evil. So, when the Pharisees could not disprove the facts... They pulled what C.S. Lewis coined, and they attempted vulgarism. If you cannot discredit, discredit the 
evidence discredit the man. They question if a man had really been if the man had really been born blind. So much so they went and called his parents. As parents, they could tell that the Pharisees didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They're like, don't ask us. Yeah, he was born blind, but but how did he get healed? We don't know anything about that. Go ask him. He's of age. What do they do? They simply make their own truth, declare that Jesus is not from God, and then they cast the man out of the synagogue. The Pharisees were determined not to allow Jesus to deliver them from their sins, no matter the evidence. They had fashioned their own idols of truth. In John 14, Jesus, when he is speaking to Thomas, says this, And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to to not just Thomas, but to all the disciples and all the hearers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, despite all the evidence, both in the world and sadly the church, people are making their own ways to God. They are fashioning their lives and worship as if everyone can make their own way to God. 1 Timothy chapter 2 declares this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only mediator between men and God. There is no other way. But when we continue in this way, we see that many don't understand. John 10.6 says this, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke. Like the Pharisees, many walk in the blindness of their own way. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. He says this, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And he says this, he declares against all those that are finding other ways, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. We need to contrast what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is calling out to all those calling out all those who came before him who were proclaiming that they were the way. Often these deceivers come to us saying, we have the secret knowledge. We know the way. Hey, read my book. Listen to my podcast. I've got the way to work it all out for you. We have the system. Those who bring any truth that suggests anything other than Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life are simply attempting to steal your very life from you. Jesus says, enter through me and you will be saved. Then you will move in and out through him and find pasture. That is, in Christ we find all of our needs met as we go about our daily lives. But that enemy, however enticing, has simply come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus, instead of death and destruction, brings life, and he brings a life that is so much more abundant. 
in our pride, we do not choose to accept the truth that only Jesus, that only in Jesus there is life. We always want to negotiate with God. See, this is what indicts us. God's word says, here's what you do. Here's how you live. And we go, yeah, but, or God, what if I do this far? Or what if I do this and I somewhat ignore that? We want to negotiate with God. When we do this, we are striving to develop our own ways of following Christ. And we deceive ourselves. 2 Timothy 3 states that we end up having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. We cannot follow our own hearts. We cannot believe that trusting in anything else than Jesus Christ for salvation and deliverance. let Let me say this again to you. If we start trusting in anything else, if we start thinking there's any other way to salvation, that it's in our own strength, then we are deceived. And this lie, it will hurt us. It will kill us. It will destroy us. There is no neutrality. That is going on all about us in our society today. Everyone thinks, well, that's neutral. Matthew twelve thirty says this. This is Jesus speaking. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There is no neutrality. It's simply Jesus. He's the only way to salvation. He's the only mediator to God. There is no other way. And anything that suggests anything else is against Jesus Christ. Many try to live as if everything is neutral. They live with no fixed truth. They are tossed about in a sea of uncertainty, creating a life full of fear and anxiety. But there's hope because Jesus is the good shepherd. John 10, 11 begins with, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his, shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. First, let me make this clear. Do not put your trust in men. Do not look to great speakers in the church. Do not look to men. If they point to anything other than Jesus for the way of salvation, do not believe them. Remember that we're all just hirelings. All the pastors, all the elders, all the leaders throughout the church. Right? If if we're saying anything outside of Christ and his word, if we're if we're twisting and turning, do not follow men. We can think and look at so many failures, people following people and then something happens to the man and they leave the faith because their trust was in the dynamic nature of the speaker how well they knew the bible how well they debated others how popular their podcast has been do not do that no 
we need to trust Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the great shepherds before him. Jesus is the greater Moses who was a shepherd. Jesus is the greater shepherd king. He fulfills all the promises of David. You know, we love the imagery of Psalm 23. We often draw much comfort from this psalm. We love verse 2. We love verses 4 through 6. You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of times when we look at this, we don't consider what is here. I want us to remember that in our own strength and wisdom, we resist the good shepherd. The psalm says that the Lord is the shepherd. What? I shall not want. Let us humbly submit to God's leading from his word and the paths of righteousness. He leads us not for our own glory, but for his providential hand leads and delivers us for what? For his name's sake, for his glory. We need to remember this. Again, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And of course, we rejoice because our cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And those are great things and wonderful gifts that God has given us. Beware, guard your heart, submit to the good shepherd. Our sinful natures want to push back and not follow the good shepherd. We want things for our own glory and not for his glory. But you know, we don't have to fear At the very end of John 10 here, in verse 15 of our passage, it says, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, brings peace and assurance to us. Just as the Father would not abandon Jesus to the tomb, we know that Jesus laid down his life for us, and Jesus will not forget us. The promises kept by the Father to the Son teaches us in the same way that Jesus also, without abandon, keeps his sheep. You know, in John chapter 17, it says this. This is Jesus. I pray for them, that is us. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you, that is the Father, has given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus is the good shepherd. He brings us peace. Let us submit ourselves to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who alone is the good shepherd. Grant that by your Spirit we would seek no other door but Christ. Please forgive us for living in the folly of idolatry. Let the word of your salvation dwell among us richly. Do not withhold your trusty staff, the word of your promise. Make us to bring glory to your name. And when the shadow of death spreads over us, conduct us by the sure word of your promises safely to the fold of the perfected saints. 
the tabernacle not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For the sake of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit eternally. Amen.